Morning, y'all. Y'all happy about summer? It's about time, huh? Well, um, I, I think that as I uh, reflect on the Christian life, and I, I look at what's probably the toughest part of this whole Christianity thing, I would say that it is the total, unconditional surrender of everything over to Jesus. Anybody have an issue with that at all? Uh, it's, if you're like me, there is nothing more difficult, in fact, you know, that, just reflecting on that song, than turning the, the ghosts of your old life those ghosts that still continue to haunt us, to be able to turn all of that uh, over to him once and for all. Uh, today, we're starting a new two-week series entitled Flawed. And really, I could spend 12 weeks dealing with the topic, but um, flawed, it really gets down to the heart of that we seek to <clears throat> embrace and take ownership of our past, while at the same time seeking to learn from the past and live differently moving forward. And so today we're going to deal with the walk of sin, as I am calling it. Sin, by definition, is really described as any deliberate action attitude or thought that goes against the will of God. Most of us think of sin as something obvious like uh, lying or cheating uh, or stealing, which is all true. It is sin, but it can also be things that are far more subtle to the point that it can be things that are almost undetectable to other people. Stuff like pride, Envy, even worry, can be a sin. Whatever is the case for you, the one thing that I know for sure is that the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means that no matter how you view your life, no matter how you view the sin in your life, bottom line is we're all in the same bucket. Right? So this morning what I want to do is to give you a little bit of my take on the impact of sin as it relates to those of us who have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ because what tends to happen after we become Christians is that we tend to gloss over the whole sin thing and say, hey, I'm saved by Jesus and it's all good. But how does sin impact our lives moving forward as people who are followers of Jesus Christ? And I think that, and I've I've talked about this before, is I truly believe that most of us, we really compartmentalize our life. We have like a compartment over here for our job, and a compartment here for our family, and a compartment here for church, and even a compartment for our kids. It's all kind of separate. But I think we also have compartments of stuff like our, our issues, and our weaknesses, and our flaws. And what happens is, when we decide to live for God and to give our lives to Jesus, we make a commitment to put our past behind us and to move 
forward in a new life, a better life, if you will, in God. And as time moves on, and as we grow in our relationship with God, we turn more and more of these areas or compartments over to Jesus. And we give Him, slowly we give Him control of those areas of our lives, which is, by the way, what the Bible asks us to do. Because the Bible clearly states that Jesus wants to be Lord over your entire life, not just one compartment, not just two compartments, but over the whole deal. So Jesus wants to break open all the walls of the compartments and to be Lord of it all. And as a result, when we go through that, we have this like life-changing experience where we become different people because Jesus is slowly penetrating all the areas of our lives. And the more positive change that we see, the more of our life that we continue to hand over Jesus until... Until we get down to just one thing. There's just this one little thing that we don't quite want to let go of. And that one thing is different for all of us. Your thing is different than my thing. But I'll go out on a limb and I'll say we all got a thing. We all keep a secret compartment of our lives locked away from the rest of the world, and we don't want anybody else to know about it because we know it's really not good for us. We know that it creates a barrier between us and God. We know that it's sin. But truth be known, we just can't bring ourselves to let go of it. At least not yet. Just Give me a little time. But as long as it's there, and we don't do anything to completely remove it from our lives, it remains a threat to our way of life to the point that it is something that can seriously take us down. I think that one of the strongest metaphors for the seductive nature of sin that I've ever heard is found in the Old Testament of the Bible in uh, the book of Proverbs chapter 7 and in this text which is more than likely written by King Solomon he uses the metaphor of a woman who is seducing a young man to go to bed with her as an example to show how sin can spin this web of deceit and how easy it is for us to get entangled in it. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 7, and I'll start out with verse 6, and it says, at the window of my house, and I'm imagining King Solomon speaking these words, at the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice, and I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young man, a youth who had no sense. I got plenty of those living in my own house. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. You can almost feel the danger, can't you? This young guy who obviously knows about this woman. He knows where she lives, and he begins to slowly walk toward her house. 
And with that first step in her direction, he begins to flirt with disaster. The day was fading, and it was getting dark. He was hiding under the cover of night because he knew what he was doing was wrong, but it didn't stop him. And he takes another step and another. And maybe he thinks to himself, well, maybe I'll just walk by the house and just catch a glimpse of her in the window. No harm, no foul. No big deal. There is this symbolic picture beginning to form of the shadows of evil falling over this young man's life that begins to slowly overtake him. Almost sounds like a Stephen King novel or something. But clearly there is this tension between good and evil that is working in the body of this young man. And I think that this is an absolutely great metaphor for dealing with whatever it is is our greatest weakness. Whatever the face of temptation is for you, this is a metaphor for it. When we have that one compartment of our lives that we hold back from God, it's a threat. And even though it hasn't been an issue for us recently, we take that compartment out from time to time and we open it up just a little bit. We peek at it. We poke at it just enough to remember what it is that we loved about it so much. And we begin to flirt with evil. We start walking down the street toward our temptation. And we think, I can handle it. But with that forced step that we take, we begin to open a door that we may not be able to shut ever again. We think to ourselves, ah, I won't let it go that far. I got this. I'll just play around with it a little bit. And before we know it, we fall into the web of sin. It goes on in verse 10 and it says, Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks, suggesting that temptation is everywhere. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, Today I have fulfilled my vows and I have food from my fellowship offering at home, and so I came out to meet you, I looked for you, and now I've found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love until morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not home. He is gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money, and he won't be home until the full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray, and she seduced him with her smooth talk. She says, I looked for you, and I found you. Or the literal translation is, I caught you. But the thing of that is, it seems to me that maybe 
just maybe he wanted to be caught. He put himself into that situation so that he could say, ah, it was all just a big accident. I accidentally ran into her. Instead of avoiding her street, he placed himself in a dangerous situation where it would be very, very easy for him to fall. And he did. The point is that our weakness have our weaknesses have more power over us than we give credit. We are in denial about the hold that it has on us. And before you know it, you hear those fateful words. The coast is clear. It's safe. Nobody is looking. Nobody will ever know. And that compartment of our lives that we thought we had control over just took control over us. This woman in our text represents those things that can be a temptation for us. Those things that in and of themselves may not be wrong, but taken out of context and using them in such a way that it goes against God's design for our lives, plain and simple, it's a sin. I think of all the stuff that we call sin really can fall into one of two very, very broad categories. And what I'll refer to as sins of passion and sins of the heart. Sins of passion are born out of some sort of desire. A desire to possess something. A a desire to experience something or to control something or even to destroy something. And this is what leads to things like committing adultery, addictions, stuff like gossiping or backbiting, fits of anger, rageful behavior. Sins of passion are typically impulsive and are usually brought on by emotion. And when you allow it, These emotions can control you and very quickly take you down a road that you don't want to go down. While these sins are often considered to be the worst type of sins because these are the ones that everybody and their brother can see, there is a second kind of sin that can even be more deadly because, quite frankly, we can hide them more easily. And these are what I'm calling sins of the heart. These are the sins that don't show up on the outside of a person very often. And so we can bury them deep inside of our heart. Stuff like selfishness, jealousy, envy, bitterness, hypocrisy, lust, deceit. Resentment. These are all sins that, for the most part, can be hidden from the outside world. From time to time, they pop up their ugly heads. But for the most part, we can keep them hidden. 
But given the opportunity, they can carve a hole into your soul. And the longer that they are allowed to live inside of you and become part of you, the deeper the rabbit hole goes. So Jesus spent his entire ministry trying to teach what sin really is. To give people an authentic understanding of what sin really is. Because while the religious leaders of his day were quick to judge the prostitutes and to point out the tax collectors being crooks and the drunks and all of those people being the worst of sinners, they thought of themselves as being sinless. So ironically enough, Jesus, if you read the Gospels, focused a lot of his teaching, a lot of his time on, this, on teaching the religious leaders that just because your sin may not be observed by other people doesn't make you sinless. That a sin of the heart in God's eyes is just as bad as a sin of passion because God can see in your heart, he knows who you really are and what you're about. And although outwardly these religious leaders looked like they had their act together, Jesus referred to them as whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but filled with dead man's bones. In other words, the Pharisees were more concerned about looking holy than they were really being holy. And I think Unfortunately, that the same thing happens in our lives as Christians. That we too tend to minimize the sin in our life because compared to the whole rest of the world, we just ain't that bad. We're seduced into believing that if we keep this one little thing, it's okay because it isn't that bad. Those people over there, they're much worse. And quite frankly, I can handle it. It tricks us into believing that we've gotten rid of everything else for God, so surely keeping this one little thing isn't going to hurt anybody. And so we begin to justify what we're doing. And it slowly becomes part of our life. And it's in those quiet moments when we're all alone, when the face of temptation pops its head out again and says, the coast is clear. Nobody's watching. Nobody will ever know. And without even realizing it, that sin, that thing has a hold on us And we can't shake it. Well, unfortunately, the axe is about to fall on our young guy walking down the street. In verse 22, it says, all at once, he followed her. So for those of you who are rooting for him, sorry. (laughs) Like an ox going to the slaughter. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. Like a bird darting into a snare. Are you getting the picture here? (laughs) 
little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. Sounds ominous, doesn't it? Some serious stuff, though. It all starts out very innocent. But eventually, it grows into full-blown destruction. I can't tell you the number of people's lives that I've seen firsthand who started with this kind of innocent flirtation with something. And before you know it, they became one of the nameless, faceless corpses caught in the trap of sin. In the New Testament, the book of James chapter 1 gives us another great description of the seductive process, the walk of sin, where it says, but each one is tempted when by our own desire we open up our desires, and then we're dragged away and enticed. And then after desire is born, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There are a lot of us who have tucked away this one last compartment in our life that we just don't want to let go of. Not just yet. Someday I will. Someday I'll put that behind me, but that someday never comes, and until we do, we flirt around with disaster and dance on the cliff as we give birth to sin. And as sin begins to grow, it takes control, and the Bible says it eventually leads to destruction. So here's what I think. I think that we need to know what the face of our temptation is, what it looks like. We need to be honest with ourselves and say, I've got an issue in this area of my life. So that we can put protective measures in place, so that we can be very aware of what the triggers are that cause me to walk down that path, so that we can avoid coming to the end of our lives still having these issues with a complete stranglehold around us. For some of us, the face of our temptation that we keep tucked away looks a lot like anger or resentment. Others of us have held back greed, and we just refuse to turn over our finances or money or the stuff to God. Some of us have held back a little compartment of lust and we're struggling with things like pornography or other types of sexual temptation or relationships. Others of us have addictions and we need to admit that we have a problem and get some help. Some of us, we just can't let go of our ego and our pride and we are living a life that is all about me and there are corpses in the wake of what I've done. You need to know what the face of your temptation looks like so that you can identify it, you can see it, you know what it is, and to begin to turn it over to God. And so the question is, are you ready? 
are you ready to give up this one last bit of turf in your life? Are you ready to totally, unconditionally surrender it all once and for all? The choice is yours. But I think that if you make the decision not to do anything with it and to keep it there, I think we also have to understand that with our choice comes consequences and there is pain on the other side. And there is destruction of people's lives and ultimately there is complete alienation from God. It is never easy to surrender that one last thing, but that is exactly what God is asking from us right now. I've had stuff in my life, all my life, that I've needed to change, and I struggled for a long time. And it wasn't until I made, unfortunately, some really bad mistakes and my life blew up that I put changes in my life, that I put protective measures in my life. And it wasn't easy and it wasn't fun surrendering all of those areas of my life over to Jesus. But I can honestly say that it has all been absolutely worth it. But it ain't over. (laughs) We're never really out of the woods. It's a lifetime commitment to change. And for me, I know the face of the temptation that exists in my life. I know the street that my temptation lives on. I know the house. And I walk way around the other side of the city just so I can avoid it. I know that I have to put protective measures in so that I don't even come close to it. The seductive nature of sin is nothing to underestimate and it is nothing to play around with. We have to take that last little compartment out of the basement of our lives that we keep hidden away and get rid of it and deal with it once and for all. It's just right there. It's amazing how something small can just change your entire life just like that. And this is where we say, Jesus, I'm not just going to turn over to you the easy stuff, the compartments of my life that are visible to everybody and their brother. I'm surrendering it all. Even the secret little compartments that nobody knows about, I'm not holding anything back anymore. I'm done. Take my life and have at it do that and you see what changes and you see the fulfillment that occurs in your life in beginning to become the person that God created you to be. I thought this morning maybe we would just end with a prayer where we could say a prayer together and we could just take whatever it is that we've identified in our head and just lay it out there before God. So if you will, there'll be a prayer that is up on the screen. If you'll just read it with me, we'll read it together. But as you read it, just pray. 
with all the sincerity in your heart, all the authenticity, and just spend time throwing it out before God. Let's say this together. I believe that I am saved by the unconditional grace of God. There is nothing I can do to make God love me anymore. There is nothing I can do to make God love me any less. And because of that, I come before you, Jesus, just as I am and not as I should be. I come to you with all of my past, all of my baggage, all of my sin, and lay it at your feet. Jesus, I ask that you take it from me and free me from all that holds me back from giving myself fully to you. I ask that you fill me with compassion, humility, and patience. Give me the strength to forgive myself and others as you have forgiven me. Give me the focus to keep my heart set on you and not on earthly things and the problems of this world. I come before you right now, Jesus, and give you my life, not in part, but the whole. I ask that you will give me the strength to rise up and walk firmly in my faith until the very end.